Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. I'm your host, Genevieve Kyle. I am 42, and I am a busy mommy of two, Alexandre, who is two, and Nathan, who is four months. Today, it is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. In recognition of this day, we have two moms here to share their personal story of loss. So let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hi, everyone. This is Heather Fox. I am the co-host of Parent Talk. I am 41 years old, and I have a son named Hudson, and he's 22 months old, and I'm also expecting baby number two. Hi, my name is Megan Charles. I am 33 years old and a mother of two wonderful little boys. Toby is my first at four years old, and Tristan is my second at 14 months. Hi, my name is Janine Malenka. I have one beautiful daughter, Cammie, who is 14 months old. All right, ladies. Well, thank you for being here. Today we have uh, two amazing brave moms here to share their personal stories of loss. Miscarriage is a difficult subject, but definitely one that we need to talk about. Unfortunately, it is much more common than we realize, especially in the first 12 weeks. However, so many parents feel so alone in their grief so we think it's important to validate those feelings and understand that everyone experiences them in their own way. So I want to thank you guys for being here. I know it's, it could be very difficult to talk about miscarriage. So let's start by uh, having uh, both of you, Megan and Janine, uh, share your story. Let's start with you, Megan. So after the birth of our first son, uh, my husband and I were very excited to try again. And so we decided that in October of 2015 that we would uh, go to try and have our second baby. And we were very lucky. We got pregnant uh, almost right away. And um, pregnancy pretty much went as normal. I was a little more sick than, uh, than I was with my first baby. And at the end of November, we had a positive ultrasound at eight weeks and got to see baby's heartbeat and everything looked really wonderful and good. Uh, went about life and got ready to uh, sort of announce to uh, our, our family. And now, I had already let my core group of friends know. So my, my best friends sort of had known almost right away that, that I had gotten pregnant. And of course, the uh, girls on my uh, Facebook group that I had joined when I had my first son, uh, they all knew right away as well as a support system. So just as a, so sort of as we came into the Christmas season, I was probably around 11 or 12 weeks pregnant. We decided that, you know, everything had been positive. I was feeling uh, pretty decent. My, my, my nausea had gone down a little bit and I thought, okay, I'm feeling pretty good. We thought, you know what, this is a great time to announce a pregnancy to the family during Christmas season. Uh, we always get together on the 24th at uh, my uncle's house and we thought, what a great what a great opportunity to denounce to the family. We'll put a little shirt on Toby. He can run around that says, you know, this guy's getting promoted to big brother. And uh, so that's what we did. We changed him into a shirt. He ran around. It took them about 20 minutes to notice him. And of course, when, <laughs> when they did notice, everybody broke out and, and congratulations. And everybody was very happy and it was really fantastic. And we, and, uh, we went to dinner 
with the other side of the family a day or two later, we repeated the same thing, but they caught on much quicker. It took them them about five minutes uh, to catch on to it, which was really fun. And um, so we'd sort of announced to the family, we, you know, my, my core group of friends knew and everything was going very well. And then we hit Christmas day and all of a sudden I felt really awesome. Like I, all the nausea was gone. I felt really, really good. And I was like, okay, this is great. We're over the hump and we're getting there. At the end of the month, went to a normal midwife appointment and they were like, well, you're about 12 weeks. We should be able to get the heartbeat now. So we got out the Doppler and did their thing, but they couldn't find the baby. And they said, you know what? It is still a little bit early. Don't worry about it. Come in next week. I said, okay, no problem. The day that I was supposed to go in to see my midwife to try again, uh, I was at work and I went to the washroom and I wiped and it was orange, not pink was orange. And I was like, well, this is a weird color. This isn't normal. And I got very nervous because I kept thinking, you know, we're at like 13 weeks now. We should be fine. Nothing should be going wrong. But I feel really great. Hmm. So I got a little bit nervous. The orange just kept getting oranger, more orangey as the day went on. The hue started getting darker. And I got a little more worried, a little more worried. And my, my employer knew at the time, I had actually told them almost right away because they had kind of guessed. And, um, you know, so I went to my boss and I said, you know what, I, can I go home? Like, I, can I just, you know, this is really freaking me out. I'd really like to go to midwives a little bit early. And she said, yep, no problem. So off I went to the midwife and, um, once again, she tried to find the heartbeat and failed again. So I remember my midwife looking at me very seriously and, taking my hand in hers and saying, you know, Megan, we have to prepare for a miscarriage situation. And I was kind of looking at her thinking, oh, what? What do you mean? And she was saying, you know, we failed to find the heartbeat twice. And I kind of looked at her and I'm like, well, you need to get me into an ultrasound right now. Like we need to go now. I will go anywhere now. And unfortunately it was like four o'clock in the afternoon and nobody does after sounds at four o'clock in the afternoon. So unfortunately I had to wait till the next day. So I got the ultrasound scheduled for the next day. And of course was freaking out. Went home that night, told my husband, I said, you know what, this is what the midwife said, this is what we need to prepare for, but I'm, I'm sure everything's fine. Like everything should be great. No problem. And at two o'clock that morning, everything was not fine. And that's when my miscarriage began. Um, so I had a natural miscarriage at home. I would say the majority of it happened within the first couple hours were the most intense. And then after that, I went into Um, I don't want to say a bleed situation, but kind of, I went into a situation where my body was still trying to pass the products of conception. Um, So it took my body much longer than anticipated to do so. So the first, so the first couple days were, were very, very rough. I would describe it as a period on steroids would be a better way to describe it because it was very, very intense. And it was, you know, being someone who had gone through labor before, uh, it was the feeling that I was having was incredibly similar to what I felt when I was in labor with my first son. So like you knew when a contraction was coming and your body was forcibly trying to um, do what it needed to do 
to uh, expel what it needed to expel from, from itself. So my body worked very, very hard to do what it was supposed to do. I did have a heavy bleed situation where I did have to go into the hospital. And uh, while in the hospital, I did get to meet with an obstetrician. And, um, and I believe I was about two weeks along into the miscarriage at that point. Met my obstetrician. Ended up being very, very helpful because a few weeks later, while I was still going through a miscarriage and still bleeding at about five and a half weeks, I was able to call that obstetrician and say something is, I feel like something is wrong. I feel like this should have been over by now. And thank goodness that he was able to get me in that day because I went in. This was February 10th now. I, my miscarriage started on January 6th. By February 10th, I was still bleeding. And I went in to see him and I'm, I'm always going to remember this because I just, it was so, it's such a crazy thing in the middle of, of such a hard experience is where you go into your obstetrician. He goes, okay, we need to do a scope. So we're going to take a look in there. And I go, okay, awesome. <laughs> and, and he looks at me, he goes, do you want to see? And I was like, heck Yeah. When do you ever get the chance to see the inside of your body? <laughs> so here I am in the middle of my obstetrician. And he's like, well, there it's, you see that little pink thing? And I'm like, yep. And I'm like, and he's like, that's your cervix. And I was like, cool. And then he's like, okay, we're going to go on in. He gets into my uterus and he goes, you seen that little white thing up there? And I say, yeah. And he's like, that's retained products. You're going to need a D and C. I went, oh, because I had been bleeding for so long for at five weeks, um, my DNC was scheduled for the next day. I was very, very lucky to get in when I did. And I was very lucky to have the obstetrician that I did have for the DNC, which was different than the one I saw in clinic. I hadn't had a surgery, I think, since I was about four years old. So I came in incredibly scared, incredibly nervous. I didn't know what was going to happen. And, um, the hospital was very good at allaying my fears. The nurses were really, really good about taking care of me. And the obstetrician that I had was a very, very nice gentleman. Um, and I kind of describe him as Santa because he was kind of round and jolly and had a curly Q beard. And it made me feel much better, which is a really weird thing. You're in the middle of getting ready to go into surgery and you're like, you look like Santa. I think I might be okay. <laughs> Santa's not going to steer you wrong. Anyways, um, so I went in and I had I had my surgery and everything went very well. I did get a note from the doctor who uh, he did say everything had gone very very well and he had very he was quite pleased that I had been able to come in so quickly because he said that he was surprised that I had not gone septic yet. Um, so that was not really a great situation there, but um, very pleased that my body had had not actually gotten an infection yet because he was very surprised that we hadn't got to that level. That's great. You didn't get to there. Yeah, thank goodness. So that mm -hmm. was that was a good thing. And then it took about a week later until the bleeding stopped and uh, uh, got to be able to sort of really start processing um, everything that had happened. Mm -hmm. Great. And for you, uh, Janine, do you want to tell us your story? Yes, of course. So um, it was my first pregnancy, so I had no idea what to expect in terms of when I should be feeling movements or kicks or, or how things should be progressing. Everything was progressing fine. We had our 10-week ultrasound. There was heartbeats. We went all the way up to 
our 20, I think it's around the 20 week you have your other ultrasound, went to that ultrasound. It was, I would say, an, a weird experience all around just because at the one point they were trying to get their measurements and they couldn't get the head measurements. So it was a big production. They thought I was going to have to come back. They had a whole bunch of people coming in trying to read me um, all along. I'm, I'm more on the positive side. So to me, I'm like, if they said it's fine, everything's fine. And that if there was an issue that they would let their, our midwife know. So when my husband and I went to the next midwife appointment, um, we asked him if anything was fine, just because the ultrasound was a little weird. Um, midwife said, oh no, all the results came back fine. Your blood work is fine. So there's no, uh, we're negative for everything. Everything's heartbeat. They checked, everything's fine. So that was around week 20. We went through Christmas, like you said, so it was around the Christmas holidays, everything's fine. We're, no, I'm, I'm obviously really showing. It's at first Christmas, everyone's giving us gifts because our baby's coming in like three or four months. Um, and then I made it all the way to around, it was my 27th week. And when I was talking again, not really feeling kick, like, well, I said, I wasn't really feeling kicks. In my head, I would make, I would feel a little twinge and, I, and that was a kick to me because I had no idea what to expect or what I should be feeling. Um, at the time, a friend of mine who was also pregnant, um, I was talking to her and she was really kind of concerned that I wasn't feeling anything more powerful, but she didn't want to scare or alert me. So see, she mentioned that everything's fine. I'm sure everything's fine, but you might want to just talk to your doctor about it. So that night, I think it was the first time that it kind of sparked some worry. Um, my husband was out of town at the time. He was at a work conference. Um, so I went to work the next day, tried to get it out of my mind, but called the midwife when I was at work. Um, and she just said that her spidey sense were up a little bit and she really wanted me to come in right away and get a, get a read on it. Um, it was, a, I couldn't go in that day. So I went in the next day that night, I think was probably the worst. I think that was probably the worst night for me because I, I think at that point I, I knew it. Like, I think I, I knew what was about to happen without having a confirmation of it. So I was trying to do everything I could. I'm Googling how to feel like how to make your baby kick. So I'm going on on all fours, trying to, trying to see if I could feel something, drinking ice cold water, um, downloading every app you can that says that it could try to check a heartbeat. Again, nothing. I wasn't feeling anything. I wasn't getting a heartbeat. Um, again, my husband wasn't in town, but I didn't want to, I didn't reach out to anybody. I didn't want to actually, cause I didn't want to talk about it. Talking about it made it real. Um, so the next day I went to work like I was, like I had to, my appointment wasn't till, um, later in the afternoon. Again, I mentioned to my work, I got to leave it a little early. There's a doctor appointment. They want to come in. I have to check to see the heartbeat and things are kind of not feeling right. Um, my work was very, very, very incredibly supportive. Um, I went into the midwife, they got me in, they tried to feel the heartbeat and there was nothing. They tried, we tried several times, a bunch of different things. There was just no heartbeat. Um, and kind of like what you said, Megan, they look at you and you just know it. Um, yeah. (laughs) So, um, then it was, it was, I think I, then it was just very formal. Like my, my wife is amazing. Um, but it it was had at that point it had to be very, this is the procedure. Um, so they just, she sent me to, well, she told me I needed to go to BC women's because we were in Vancouver. Um, she asked me if I was okay to go myself or they want me to call somebody. Um, I was fine. I, I, for me, I also just wanted that time alone, kind of just to process it or kind of, I don't know if I'm processing it or preparing myself, maybe a bit of both. Um, they had a midwife meeting me there at the hospital when I arrived. So when I arrived, 
paperwork was all ready for me and they kind of just brought me into to the room where they, they didn't they using the machines at the hospital tried to get read the heartbeat and again there was nothing and then there, at that point it was more of a confirmation than a w- waiting for a different result I guess and so the next step was we had to wait for the doctor that was on call to come in and confirm it um, so I was in the room by myself that's when I made my first well I called my husband when I was going into the midwife to get the reading. Obviously called him right afterwards when I was heading to the airport. I mean, the airport. When I was, <laughs> I wish I was flying away. Um, <laughs> when I was heading to the hospital, my husband is the one who had to fly home. Um, so he was trying to make arrangements or figure out what he could do to leave his conference to come home while I was in the hospital. Um, but when I was in the room by myself that first time um, is when I, ca- I called my parents first. So I called them to let them know. And then I didn't really alert anybody else. Um, I didn't want to. Then we waited for the doctor. The doctor did an ultrasound. And it was more of a, a confirmation trying to figure out what happened. So they could tell that there was lots of fluid. So it probably had been passed for a little while. And more diagnosing what she could, trying to give me some, I think, some bit of peace. Um, from that point, I had to wait. I had, then my blood pressure was really high, so they had to keep me in the hospital for a bit to let it calm down before they could let me go. They want. They could have. Di- they could have. In- they they needed to induce me. That's what the the next steps were. I wanted to wait for my husband to come home. Like I didn't want to do that on my own. But because my blood pressure was high, they couldn't le- like discharge me from the hospital. So I was in a place. I felt like that that to me thought was more traumatic than just figuring out I had a miscarriage was the fact that I couldn't leave the hospital. I just wanted, I just wanted to get out of there. I want to go home to my dog to cuddle her. Um, and then my husband, so my husband and I were all again, very, everybody's different in their grief. So my husband, he needed to call people. So he called his friends right away. Um, one of his friends is his wife was my really good friend. So she inadvertently found out and she was right there at the hospital with me, bringing me tea, which was, even though I didn't, didn't think I needed it, it was, amazing and helpful and then from there she asked me if she just wanted to come my blood pressure came down I could finally go home it was around one or two in the morning at that time um and I just again I just wanted to go home by myself like I didn't I didn't want her to come stay with me I didn't want anybody to be around me I just kind of wanted to be alone um so I went home I can't even remember what that next that evening was but um my husband came home the next morning I guess morning afternoon by that time, I did call my very best friend who lives in another city, and she said just when I, by the fact that I was calling her, she knew she felt something was off or something was wrong. Um, and then my husband and I just tried to live up. We had to go into the hospital around seven or eight that night, so we kind of just did do. We just kind of, I guess it's kind of like when you're pregnant, you nest. We were just kind of namelessly doing things around the house, like we were tidying up, cleaning things, walking our dog, kind of getting things in order, and then we packed a bag, went into the hospital, they had everything ready for us, and they, in, they induced me when I was there. Um, and so for me, I guess not thinking it at the time, but that was my first experience of labor, and I had no idea what was, that I was going through. Like, I thought, I had no idea what I thought, actually, um, but I went through everything else. So I had to, I got the, I got the cramps, I got the, the bleeding, um, they, at one point I had to, they, not push, but you felt the pressure, you felt the pain, um, and then, then we had a baby. Um, they always asked us all the time if, what, what we wanted or how we wanted it to, 
um, the procedures afterwards. Did we want to see it? Do we want to name it? Do we want to know if it was a boy or a girl? Uh, I think those were the questions that were hard to answer, especially because Steph and I not weren't always on the same page. Um, at the end, we were, but we had to talk through things a lot. I didn't want to know if it was a boy or a girl. I didn't want to know um, um, the sex of it. I definitely did not want to name it. Um, where Steph was always curious if we wanted, did we want to at least know if it was a boy or a girl? Do we want, did we want to see it? Um, at the end, we decided to know that it was a, what the sex of it was. And then at the very, very last minute when she was up, she was like, last chance, do you want to see your little baby or do you want me to just take it out? I, I, I wanted to see, I wanted to see just the face. I didn't want to see anything else. Um, and then they, they took the little baby. They had to do initial screening of it to see if they could diagnose anything from physically looking at it. Um, and then from there, it was, they had to take it to it. They did an autopsy and everything. The one thing I also wasn't prepared for is that we needed, to, because it was born, had to do full, like, um, talk to a funeral home, make all after afterlife planning. We had to do a birth certificate, um, all that stuff, too, that made it feel a little bit more real. I My whole thing was I wanted, I didn't want to act like it didn't happen because it did, but I n didn't want it, I didn't want to get too attached because I didn't want to be able to not move on. So I thought by my rationale, and every day is totally different, my rationale was the less I do to get to know the baby, then thing it's something that it wasn't really mine. So we in terms of the funeral, we, and this is hard too, again, because we were grieving. We grieve differently than my whole family. My family was grieving and everybody grieves differently. So even though this is what I decided was best for me, it was not at all the best for my parents or especially my mom. My mom, need, I needed to name it. I needed to have a service for it or else it wasn't able to, the spirit wasn't able to, to, to go. For me, that was not the case. And I needed to do what was best for me. Um, in hindsight, looking back, I realized the effect it had on other people. But again, I still had to do what I needed to do um, in terms of, so it, for that, we did not have, a, we didn't name it. We didn't put a name on the birth certificate. We didn't have a funeral. Um, we cremated the little baby and we let them um, take the ashes and sp sprinkle it over the ocean. We didn't want to be there either. So. Um, and then after that, it was my husband and I had a week to, we kind of just fetched the house. We watched Netflix with our dog. I needed to physically heal from it. I, I was still bleeding for a while. And then for me, I needed to go back to work. I needed to get my mind off of it. I needed, I needed for it not to define me. <laughs> so, um, and my work was, everybody support was all great. So yeah, I took a week and then I decided I needed to go back. And you, Heather, have you ever had a miscarriage? I'm extremely fortunate to say that I have not. Hudson was, Hudson was a surprise, and when I got pregnant, we were I was in my late 30s, so I knew that the reality of a miscarriage was very real. Bruce and I made the decision to tell family, like our immediate family and close friends right away that we were pregnant because I knew that if we did miscarry, that it was that we wanted to have that support group. Um, around us. I am personally one that does want to reach out and talk about a lot of my feelings and things like that. So I knew that if something did go wrong with our pregnancy, that we definitely wanted to have that kind of circle of support. So, um, and then we were extremely fortunate to have 
a fantastic little baby at the end. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I definitely know. I mean, my mom had a miscarriage, and my sisters had, I think, three miscarriages, and several close friends that have had miscarriages. So I definitely am aware <laughs> of just yeah that loss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For us, my son Alex is an in vitro baby, and they had put two embryos in, so the chance of having twins was really was there. And uh, about at six weeks, um, I was rushing to work in the morning. And, um, well, when you do in vitro, you know a little bit ahead of time that you're pregnant because they do a blood test and all this. So I knew for a couple weeks at least, uh, even more than that, three weeks at least, I knew I was pregnant. So I um, rushed to work and, and I felt like mm, something's wrong. So I went to the washroom, wiped like red, like red, bright red blood and with some um, chunks of things and stuff so I knew something was happening and uh, right away I called my husband I said it's game over we lost the pregnancy so I thought for sure that's what it was and uh, so I called um, my fertility clinic and then um, they told me keep taking the medication we'll see you I had an appointment the following uh, Tuesday so um Went for my appointment, kept taking the medication, which I really, I almost did not, actually. I was completely sure it was a game over thing. But my husband, super, super, super uh, positive. It's it's possible. It's only one embryo out of the two, maybe, maybe not. And then something was weird a little bit because I only have bled for four hours. And then I thought I was really light. So I, my husband had looked this up on the internet too so it was a good sign but I actually was convinced then it was a a full miscarriage and that was it and I actually didn't want to have false hope when I got there they did an ultrasound really fast and uh, yeah there was a heartbeat there was a baby in there Alex was in there and me and my husband we couldn't believe it and so we could see Alex in one sack and we can see the other sack that was empty so it was I was basically pregnant with twins and we just lost one. So Alex is the little miracle out of the two. So I had one miscarriage, but I didn't know that I was pregnant with twins. So when I got out of there, I was just super happy that I was pregnant. So for me, I didn't really grieve after because I was pregnant. It was amazing, right? So so Alex is a survival of a twins. And, um, and I think it's uh, he's my little miracle. Yeah. To go back to you, uh, Megan, um, how did you resume your life after your your lost? So for me, after having uh, my DNC, I, I asked the obstetrician specifically to get some pretty heavy um, antibiotics in case, because he said that I was so close to being septic. I thought, well, let's get some heavy duty antibiotics and make sure I'm okay. Well, those antibiotics made me really sick. So I ended up being very ill after, after my DNC, and then I took a leave of absence from work um, to give myself a little bit of time to recover mentally. So I ended up taking about four weeks of sick leave and, uh, and just leave from work to try to get myself sorted. And I found for me, um, I really just wanted to bury myself into my little hidey hole and I basically stayed in my bedroom and I did a lot of crochet 
my sister-in-law was pregnant and was uh, getting ready to have her first baby. So I poured a lot of my time and effort into making something uh, for my niece that was going to be coming in a couple months. So I poured my heart and soul out into a beautiful crocheted blanket um, in, in the time that, that I was, um, taking my leave of absence from work. And then I also went down to Phoenix to see my parents cause they have a, they have a place down there. So I went and took some vacation time and tried to really enjoy my time and enjoy my, my first son and sort of remember my blessings there. And then when I went back to work, um, I very much was just like, they can acknowledge it, but just acknowledge it once and then let's move on and let's try to just go back to regular life, which was and was not successful for me because um, going into that grieving period uh, for me took a very, very long time. So even though I was desperately trying to be normal and to go back to life the way it was, I just had such a deep sense of personal loss that I found it very, very difficult to sort of find, to sort of find my joy again, to find my way again, to come back to who I was as a person. Would you call it uh, postpartum depression after? Um, looking back on it, absolutely. It was a postpartum depression that uh, carried on quite a far ways into coming into getting pregnant with my second son and then the postpartum depression changing into um, different kinds of anxieties the going forward in into a pregnancy after a loss so it took me a long time to come out of that and like even after the birth of my son I still have struggled to find myself as who I was before that loss and I'm starting to accept the fact that that person just might not be around so I'm I'm trying to accept the fact that the person that I was before the loss might not be there anymore and learning how to be the person who I am now with that loss behind me knowing that the person that I'm becoming now isn't more or less than the person that I was before. I found it remarkably difficult to give myself forgiveness and give myself the grace that, and to give yourself the grace that you need coming out of a grieving period. This is not the first time I've gone through grief, but to me, this is a more profound grief than what I've experienced before because I've experienced a loss of a sibling my brother passed away in 2013 um I was grieving a loss almost of confidence in my body to know what it needed to do which seems really backwards because my body did exactly what it needed to do it knew that something was wrong and it had to it had to I don't like using the words get rid of But my body knew something was wrong and it did what it needed to do to make me healthy again. But because it did exactly what it was supposed to do, made me lose trust in it. Because all I could see in that period of time is that it could not carry a baby. And emotionally, I couldn't see that there was obviously something wrong with that baby. That's why a body will go into miscarriage. That is why our bodies will reject a pregnancy is because something has to be wrong. And emotionally, I couldn't see that mm-hmm. at, at the time. At that time, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And for you, Janine, how did you uh, resume life after you lost? 
Yeah, I think for for me, like I kind of mentioned, I needed to, I need for myself, I needed to move on. I think if I stayed still, it would hold me there. Um, so again, with my, my work was amazing. Um, we had, just before I, I pushed to go back, I went back after a week, like I mentioned, um, my work was great. And they, they, we had a conversation with my boss before I came back to ask she, with a, how she should announce it to the team. Did I want it to be announced and how and how much information should be, should be shared? Um, so when I went back in, um, of course I, as soon as I went in there, I saw my core team, there was a big cry, everything we did maybe empty a box of Kleenex. Um, but from then with people who I'm not as close with, it was never really brought up or acknowledged. The one thing that I find is absolutely inc- incredible, but also very sad at the same time is that after you have a, a miscarriage or something like this has ex- happened to you, everybody then shares their story. So people share their story and it helps you feel better. It helps you, um, let you know that you're not alone, but it's sad that it happens afterwards. Like not that people talk about it at the beginning. So I think this podcast is very helpful for that is I found out there's so many people around me that I, in my inner circle that I had no idea experienced something like this or to a different, like everybody has their own different degree. Um, so I thought, so that helped me, but I also thought it was very sad. Um, and again, it was just to, to move on. And then also I found a lot of solace in the fact that, um, the, like you said, Megan, your body does it for a reason. It's not, it doesn't happen because the baby was healthy, um, or that you, you were healthy and it just decided to, um, our little baby had trisomy 18, which is a gene mutation. Um, and it, it very rarely is it came, carry to term and if it comes to term very rarely does it survive so again looking when once I found that after the autopsy it helped me tremendously because knowing that I didn't have to make the decision so even though I got a negative reading on my my blood work had I gotten a positive I would have had to make that decision and that would have been incredibly difficult for me or if it would have carried to term and it would have passed afterwards that would have been extremely hard for me because then I would have been more attached so everything your body and everybody does what it needs to do for you as a person. So, um, all of that helped me move on afterwards and kind of, um, yeah, help me move on, help me grieve. Yeah. So both of you, uh, now have rainbow child, which is uh, a baby after a loss. Um, how did your, uh, miscarriage affect your new pregnancy, Megan? <clears throat> I definitely found that a pregnancy after a loss to me is, I would describe it as uh, have lost its magic. I remember being pregnant with my first son and pregnancy was absolutely magical and I couldn't wait to see what happened week to week. And then coming into my pregnancy with my second baby, it was just replaced to me with anxieties of is this going to happen again? Because for me and my, you know, we had a, a miscarriage that happened between what I would assume nine to 12 weeks. So somewhere in that period is when the baby's heart stopped. And we don't know why and we don't know when. So, and I made it to 13 weeks without my body doing anything. So even though I was pregnant again, I was... It was very, very difficult for me because I just, I just didn't know. And I didn't trust my body anymore. And I didn't know if it, I was going to make it. What if I made it to 13 weeks, but something was actually wrong. So 
I found my pregnancy became just absolutely riddled with anxieties uh, until we got to, you know, until I basically started feeling real kicks. And then, and it was difficult because I had an anterior placenta this time around. So I didn't feel him until he was quite a bit bigger. Um, and once I could sort of feel him, um, I feel like I was able to kind of relax into my pregnancy a little bit more and feel a lot more comfortable that, okay, you know what, it's going to be okay this time. You know, I've already like, obviously, yes, I have done this once. My body knows how to do this. Okay. I can, I can trust it just a little bit this time and yes. Okay. We're going to be all right. Um, but it was more difficult, right? It was a lot more difficult. And, and it was a pregnancy with, with, like I said, very little magic to it. Mm -hmm. Um, it just didn't hold that, well, it held its own kind of joy. It wasn't the same kind that I'd had previously with my pregnancies with, with Toby and, and the, the joy that I had with the second pregnancy before, before the miscarriage happened. It was just of much, I don't want to say clinical, but it, it was almost like a more clinical pregnancy that it was just kind of very technical and it was just kind of happening to me. And I found it a lot more difficult to connect with the baby and enjoy the baby inside me. Um, like I had my previous pregnancies. And for you, Janine, does um, your miscarriage affect uh, your new pregnancy? Yeah, I can actually echo a lot of what Megan said. Um, and I never really thought about it until you like vocalized like that. But I could see it definitely did lose its magic, as you mentioned. Um, a lot was different. We right away when we found out we were pregnant, we did the nip test right away. We wanted to make sure that there was absolutely no genetical defect, um, and we didn't. For the first one, it was the, the a big deal for us. So we did a big reveal to my parents. It was a big exciting time when we told them. And the second time, I told my work because they they went they were so close to me for the first one um, that they were my support group. But this, with the second one, we didn't tell, I don't think we told my parents to, we were closer to just the end of four to five months. So it was a lot different. We did it clinical. I, that would, that resonates with me as well. Um, we were really just looking at milestones at that time. And it wasn't until I did feel an actual kick that, cause I never felt that at all with the first one that I finally felt some sort of relief. But it was, yeah, it was always very, it's always in the back of your mind afterwards. So it absolutely changed it for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I should add too, because of the first one, um, with my delivery of this one, they weren't sure if it was going to act as a first pregnancy or second pregnancy. Um, so there was lots of questions in, around that. So we had to really take the precautions that it would act like a second, and it did actually. So the ta- the, the labor, the pre-labor was super quick, super short. Um and that's the one thing I never would have expected as well. So again, having the first, and in, in the hospital as well, they always referred it to it as my second pregnancy, um, which I, at that time became a shock to me. I wasn't, I wasn't in that mindset, so it was hard to hear. But um, yeah, so it affected throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, Megan, do you have any uh, advice for our listeners? So my biggest piece of advice for anybody who is going into a miscarriage situation or has had one is to take care of yourself, take care of your mental health. That is something that I neglected and it really affected me um, professionally and it affected me personally. I wish that I had taken care of my mental state because looking back, on the the six months 
um, during and after my miscarriage, I would describe myself as just being in an emotional free fall. Um, and I lost so much during that period of time that I just could not see because I was so blinded by my own absolute frenzy to get pregnant again. So my, like I said, my advice would be take care of yourself. You know, if you're, if you're going through this, know that you're not alone. Take care of your mental health. Give yourself grace. Know that there are so many women who have gone through the exact same thing that you're going through. You're not alone. And you know what? You're going to be okay. You might become a new person after. And that person is just as good as the person that you left behind before it happened. Mm-hmm. And for you, Jenny, any words of wisdom? Yeah, of course. Um, again, so a part of the process in that be, being going through what I did at BC Women's is they put you in touch with a psychologist. So before we had to leave the hospital, we talked. Um, and then my husband and I both went to talk to her again the week after. So I definitely think absolutely talking about and getting help, it really helps. As well as it, it's okay to not be okay. Everybody goes through this grief and this process differently, and you just need to do you. Um, I know you're in it with your spouse, but even, even to the extent that you need to do what you need to do for you, your spouse needs to do what they need to do for them, your family needs to do what they need to do for them. If you're worried about them or being okay for them or grieving for them, I don't think that's very healthy. So it's okay to not be okay. Speak to somebody about it as much and as you're, as much as you can, as much as you're able to, and um, it's okay not be okay, and you do you. You really yeah. look after you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and to come to that is, you know, grieve the way you need to grieve. We mm-hmm. all grieve so very differently, and grief has no time limit. Yeah. You know, for me, it's been two years, and it's still... I still think about that baby every day. Mm -hmm. I still talk about that baby every day because that baby, we did name ours. Our little baby was named Gummy. (laughs) (laughs) Because when we had our ultrasound, she said, look, that's your gummy bear. So when we talk about our baby that we lost, we talk about baby Gummy. Heather, can you give our listeners a few support options? Because I think that's very important, right? Yeah, definitely. So as these two amazing moms have just mentioned in their advice, I mean, reaching out and making sure that you get support for yourself is so important. Um, So we have a few resources here. Um, Of course, we're based here in the lower mainland of Vancouver. Um, The first one is called Empty Cradle Vancouver. So it's a support for parents who have experienced the loss of an infant or a failed pregnancy. Um, Their website is emptycradle.bc.ca. Their email is emptycradle at telus.net and they have a direct phone number as well at 604-525-4349. Also locally started in the Tri-Cities, however they do have support meetings throughout the whole Lower Mainland, is a Facebook support group called In Our Hearts. Um, So you can find them on Facebook and it's In Our Hearts. Um, and then they do post where the meetings are held for anybody who has experienced loss. And I think their meetings are once a month. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. So the schedule, I mm-hmm. noticed that today. It's posted there. Um, and of course, you can also visit FraserHealth.ca um, for community resources and support groups. So they have a whole list of everything around the Lower Mainland. And of course, for listeners that are not here in BC, I mean, contacting your family physician, um, contacting a local hospital, there's definitely going to be resources out there. And we definitely encourage you to reach out and talk to people. Right. 
Okay, Heather, I think it's time for a conversation card. Can you please pick it and read it to us? Surprise, oh, surprise. I'm so scared of this. I hear about it all the time. <laughs> it's time for a conversation card. Every week we like to play a game. Not only for fun, but to get to know our guests a little more too. Nobody knows what the mystery card might ask. Sometimes silly and sometimes serious. Let's find out what it will be this week. All right, everybody, here is our question today. What is one special talent that you would love to have? Ooh. Oh, oh, I know, I know. I would love to be able to reach the tip of my tongue to the tip of my nose. You can't? What do you mean no. you can't do that? No. Doesn't everybody? No. <laughs> my husband can. <laughs> My husband is awesome and he can totally, he can practically lick the underside of his nose. And I really think this is a major talent that I need to have in my life. I can see the alert. Um, no, for me, I think I'm going to be pretty basic. I, th- I think the ability to sing and sing on stage is incredible and I'm envious. So if I could have a talent, I'd want to sing. So for some reason, I'm very stumped with this one. And, but my first, I'm just going to tell you where my first thought went to mm-hmm. and which is kind of crazy. And I don't even know if I really want this talent or it's not even actually a possible talent. So hence, it's a very special talent. And that would be reading minds. And I don't even know why that came oh, to my, yeah. but it's because it's technically not, well, I mean, there are technical, like, well, yeah. potentially <laughs> mediums and things that, like, I don't know, would... but I don't know. Anyways, so that's what came to mind. So I'm just going to go there. There you go. That's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> oh, reading minds. Yeah, of course. Um, for me, I would love to be more, I would like to be more musical, like a little bit more musical. That definitely would be, um, I'd like to, I'm, I do have a guitar, you know, I can play a little bit, but, eh. and if I could add something else, I would love to feel people's feeling. You know, sometimes you're, you don't know how, where people are at in their mind and stuff and you, hmm. some, you don't pay attention but i don't know if that's yeah reading minds reading feelings yeah know. reading feelings reading. you know just <laughs> feel what people feel you know and that would be cool i think anyways <laughs> i'll go with that <laughs> <laughs> so that concludes today's episode thank you megan thank you janine and heather for taking the time to be here and for your contribution on other parents lives helping us be the best parents we can be. For our listeners, if you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the Contact Us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean. Or you can subscribe to this podcast on our website so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. And don't forget to rate and review us. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.